Let us pray. Our precious Father, we want to thank you again for the privilege we have to gather tonight to study your word. Father, we have prayed for this program. We are not going to repeat it because we know we got to the answer. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in part two, trying to look at salvation and trying to really break it down and understand it very well. We are in part two. What are we saved from? From next week, we go to what did we receive? We're talking about what we are saved from. We're going to go on to talk about what we have received. So we're trying to conclude this part. Uh, this saved from what? That we started on Thursday last week. You know, God instructed Moses to record the great victory over Amalekites. Remember, when, when, when Moses was lifted his hand, when he lifted his hand, Israel was defeating their enemies. When his hand went down, the enemies were defeating, and then they had to hold his hand up. That was a very great victory that God gave to Israel. But after that victory, God said to Moses, record this event. Why do you record it so that? God said, record it. Put it, record it, and read it to Joshua. And Joshua was there. He said, record this great victory. Read it to Joshua. Exodus 17, 14. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on his scroll as a permanent reminder. They will forget this victory. They are going to forget it. Write it as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. He was there, but read it to him. This is why we read scripture. The scripture Paul said, read this scripture to all the saints. So we read it from here to all the saints. Great victory in, in the scripture. Great work that Jesus did. We read it to the people as a reminder. Because they're too busy, they don't have time to read it. So we read it for everybody. And that's why we are reminding people is there any greater victory than the victory of our salvation? If God would want Moses to record physical victory, shouldn't he want us to record the greatest victory that God gave us in our lives, our salvation, as a reminder? These foundational truths need to be rehearsed to all believers. I believe this is why the Spirit of God said, teach this thing again. As rehearse it in their ears. The great salvation, the, great the greatest victory ever that God wrought here on earth. The, the resurrection of Jesus is considered the most powerful move of God than keeping the sun at a place and all that. That was it. Those ones were not spiritual things. This is a major spiritual encounter and a major spiritual victory that God showed the, the greatest demonstration of his power so far to mankind. Great victory. Second Peter 1 9 says, But those who fail to develop in this way are short sighted or blind, forgetting. You see why God says, Remind people? Forgetting they have been cleansed from their old sins. They forget it. God says, no, 
record it, remind them of this great victory that I wrought for them. Why? He said, when they forget it, they forget they were cleansed from their oasis. He said, they become short-sighted, they become spiritually blind. So it is very important that every believer must understand and be reminded of this foundational truth that we are talking about, about our salvation. The Bible says, if we neglect it, how do we, need, how do we hope? To, what test do we have? This? He said, how, how do you plan to escape if you neglect it? It must not just be a palace that churchgoers use, which actually is what it has become. It must not just be a, something that you are not very familiar with. It must be a truth you are very familiar with, you are grounded in, that impacts your life. Your salvation impacts your life 24-7 until you see Jesus. Your salvation is the most important event in your life. Nothing is more important than what Christ achieved for you on the cross. That's the most important event in the life of anybody. And that defines the, your experience, your daily experience. Your victories, your joys, the power you live by. Again, I recommend that people should go and do their personal study. There are certain topics you can talk with. Do your personal study on salvation. Do your personal study on prayer. Don't just do follow, follow. There are three people are doing like this, you follow them. Because a lot of people don't study the Bible, they are not interested in it. And so you follow the, the crowd. Look at what Isaiah said about our salvation. Isaiah 12, 3. With joy, with joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. With joy. He said salvation is a, is a deep well from which we can drink deeply, deeply. That's what. In that wonderful day, you will sing. Thank the Lord, praise his name, Tell the nations what he has done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Let all the people of Jerusalem shout his praise with joy. For great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. He lives in us. He said, this, when we drink from this well of salvation, let praises come because we discover great and mighty stuff that God did for us. He said, tell it to the nations. Sing about it. Look at what David said in Psalm 18 verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust my shield, and the horn of my salvation. You know what horn of salvation means? It is the power that saves me. The horn of my salvation. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. When I acknowledge this, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I, when I enter into this experience by calling upon the name of the Lord, then I escape, I escape from all my enemies. 
says he is worthy to be praised because of this. We need to drink from the fountains of our salvation, people. And Jesus said so. He that thirsts, let him come and drink. Where is the thirst? We're so busy. And we see, when we start drinking, praise starts coming forth. Starts coming forth. Most of the time we pray is ask, 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 ask. In fact, sometimes begin, 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 begin. Because we don't even take time to praise God, worship God. To us, what, what did he really do? <laughs> what did he do? Yesterday I was talking about stop and start receiving. Prayer is not just ask. Prayer is asking and receiving. The Spirit of God should be witnessing to you a lot of... This is a great time of fellowship with God if you are really fasting and praying. Incredible things God will share with you. Amazing things God will share with you about your life, about what's going on around you, about revelations in the truth. Brother, I get so much myself by the grace of God. I mean, it's like drinking truly in this world of salvation. My eyes popping open everywhere. And relating it to my life, even the church I pastor, what I should do. And I'm like, wow, yeah, Lord, that's true. Drinking from the well of your salvation. It brings praise. It brings worship. It brings adoration. You don't have time for the world. You see something amazing. You see something glorious. You don't have time for this person greeted me. Didn't you? you have time for all that kind of stuff. You have been elevated to a higher place of life. You sit with Christ in heavenly places. What in the world do you want to do with the world? The world loses its appeal. The, the, salvation has lifted you from shame to glory. Your affection is on things on high. Praise fills your mouth. The language of those who receive is praise. If you received, if you've been delivered, if you've been, if you've been set free, if you understand salvation, your sins are forgiven. You, you are not going to hell. If you understand these things, you should be more, you should praise God. Men, Isaiah said, shout it to the nations. The mighty things he has done for us. But we don't do that. Look at the reason. In Luke 7, 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat, 37. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was there, sitting there, she brought a beautiful, a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt before him. Watch the scenario. Be there. Watch this thing yourself. Make yourself, watch what is going on. In your mind, picture it so you can get the impact of what is happening at this moment. You can be there. Watch that woman walking with this very expensive jar filled with special perfume. And she goes on her knees behind him, not even in his front, behind him at his feet, weeping with joy. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. 
I want you to be there. Watch our Lord. And see somebody who, who appreciates forgiveness of sin. Who appreciates salvation. Isaiah said, sing to the nations. Shout to the nations. Tell it to the people. Are we telling it? I want, let, let's go back to that scene. I want you to picture this scene now in your mind. Let's be there. Then, then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, hmm, if this man were a prophet, he would, have, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. You know, in the spirit world, thoughts are hard as words. I'm not kidding you. Your thoughts are hard in the spirit world, as words spoke. You think it's hidden, no? It's hard but by God. It's, in the spirit world, thoughts are hard as words. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he was thinking, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. 40, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Jesus had it. I told you about a, a man that God, God opened his ears to hear two men in his kitchen discussing. He was hearing four conversations, two from this man, two from this one. One was what they were saying. The other one was what they were thinking. He said what they were thinking was opposite to what they were saying to each other. He said to God, what is this? He said, that's human being for you. So Jesus answered his thought. When we go and think we are so holy and things, we forget that God hears all our thoughts and sees all our thoughts. He answered his thought. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, don't leave that sin. We are still there. I want you to watch Simon now that Jesus is talking to him. He said, Jesus answered his thought. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Can you see Simon? I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied, 41. Then Jesus told him this story. God uses allegories and metaphors. An allegory. It's, it's a poem or a story that you use to bring out a fact, especially for moral things, morals. Our, in our culture, the elderly people used to use allegories to tell us about tortoise story and things. They illustrate some, some, some life lessons. Then, use, then God uses metaphors. A metaphor is a word you use to compare something. You say your heart is stone. Well, your heart is not stone in the reasons, but to say your heart is stone is to show how your heart your heart is. So when Jesus said that the bread of life, it's not bread. It's a metaphor. He's saying, I'm the source of life. When Jesus said, you eat me, it's a metaphor. You got to come to me, you got to know me. The way I got to be in you, like food gets into you. It's metaphor. It's metaphorical. So now he uses allegory right here to illustrate the important fact that those who don't appreciate salvation, they don't love God. They don't praise God. 
They don't. So he began to say, he said, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. Neither of us can pay for our sins. Neither of them can repay. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, ah, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman. Can you see the woman now? And said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. She's still kneeling there. When I entered your home, you didn't offer the water to wash the dust from my feet, which is cultural in their time. But she has washed them with her tears, wiped them with her hair. 45, you didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. 46, you, re- you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins that are many have been forgiven. For she has shown me much love. But the person who is forgiving little shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. See what Jesus is saying. Simon thinks he has little sin. This one has a lot of sin. People who think they are too good don't appreciate salvation. He think, what am I saying from? myself to look at me I'm very good that is pride that's that spirit I'm talking about on Sunday that 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 wants to superimpose itself on the will of God it's pride it's self-praise it is called worship of self it is called self-righteousness there's a demonic spirit that perpetuates that in people's life it's a religious spirit it's a dangerous thing one of the most dangerous spirits is self-righteous spirit. Extremely dangerous. It blinds you, makes you think you have arrived when you, when you are stinking. So when there's little appreciation of salvation, there's little love for Jesus now. Because we think... <laughs> I'm good, I'm holy, look at me. I don't commit adultery, I don't. And that's all, all lies, it's all lies. All lies. Total lies. You go to the heart, you find all those things. Think God, God needs to be impressed. If, if, when I go to church, God needs to be impressed that I even came to church. How does it affect our daily life? David said, I call on the name of the Lord, so shall I be saved. When you call on the name of the Lord, you are saved. God acknowledges it. By praising, you are acknowledging your salvation is working for you. It's working for you. In all your ways, acknowledge it. By acknowledging those things he did for you, praising him, it keeps working for you. That's your expression of faith. 
David says, so shall I be saved from my enemies. How, David, call upon the name of the Lord. Have you not called and called him my Lord, my Savior, my heal? I'm the calling on the name of the Lord. The Lord, my righteousness. You saved me. You healed me. David said, when you call on that, he's worthy to be praised. He says, so you shall be saved from all your enemies. When last did you really thank God for your salvation? When did you even remember the value of your salvation? You only go to save from what? Last week we saw that we were saved from ourselves. A great deliverance from the, our sinful nature. Very awesome deliverance. Ephesians 2 10, for, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Now, I remember when we were kids, Christmas. I mean, they would buy you Christmas clothes. That Christmas clothes, nobody, you won't touch it, nobody touches it. December 25 morning, all the children are putting on their Christmas clothes and going to church. You don't want anything to touch it. If you see the excitement to have the new shoe, Clark Sander. We wear it and wear the jumper and the mommy just bought. And we go to church and we're going there looking at each other, what each other wore. We were so excited wearing this new cloth. Aren't you excited that Jesus gave you a new, a new, a new, a new nature? A new cloth? A new cloth? A new cloth? A new life? A new nature? For we are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Sometimes we wear very good clothes and it's beautiful on us and people tell us this is wonderful. We feel excited. We're so happy. But look at what God did. He created us his masterpiece. Better than any cloth you can. His masterpiece. Shouldn't we like that woman? Come and kneel at his feet and appreciate him tremendously. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do, without this creation, we can't do. So we can do good things he planned for us long ago. He grafted us into Christ. Again, this this, uh, metaphor that Paul is trying to use to show us how we are joined to Christ. Using grafting that we know about, agriculture we know about, that if you want to change, if you, have, if, if, you have a, if you have a very beautiful tree that produces sweet, sweet fruit, you bring, you bring, I mean, you bring the one that's bitter, cut the branch and graft to it. The next time that, that branch is bearing fruit, it is sweet. It is sweet. Paul said, we, we are bitter, we were wide, wide branches, and God took us and grafted to Christ so that our life would start producing the nature and the life of Christ, start producing the sweet, sweet, sweet. You say, but pastor, there are many Christians, their life is not produced. Come on Sunday. <laughs> we will see why. It's all in the Bible. It's all in the Bible. It's all there. So in Romans 11, 17, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, so you see what's calling branches are people, 
have been broken off because they won't believe. And you Gentiles who, are, who were branches from a wide olive tree have been grafted into Christ. What's the word grafted? So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children were grafted, sharing in the rich, watch the language, in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's olive tree. Drink from the, the well of your salvation. Sharing in the rich nourishment. But you must not brag about being grafted into, into the place, the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Look at, uh, we talked about being uh, delivered from um, the power of Satan and sin. Yeah, we're going to see the word grafted again, being used by Paul. We wrote to the Romans. You will see the, the, the word grafted that used in chapter 11. He used it in chapter 6 again. But now, look at Colossians 3, 13, talking about the fact that we have been delivered from. I'm just reminding us these things we said before. Why? You've got to keep reminding people of these things. Colossians 1, 13. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness? He had, not going to, from the power of darkness, and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Romans 6, 5. What we read now is that he has delivered us from the power of darkness into his kingdom. So we're already in the kingdom of God. But Romans 6, 5 begins to show us how we have, he has set us free from the power of sin. That the Christian is not under the control of sin. And that's not what the law of Moses did. That's what Jesus did. In Romans 6, verse 5, for since we are permanently grafted. Look, see the word? Grafted into him grafted into him, in case you are wondering what translation, I'm using TPT here. Grafted into him, permanently grafted into Christ. To experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his. And the new life that it imparts, verse 6. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of his power? For we were co-crucified with Christ, with him, to dismantle the stronghold of sin. It's not by the law of Moses. It's by grace. It's by what God did. He dismantled the stronghold of sin through our death with Christ. He said, for we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us. That's what I preaching on Sunday. Within us. So that we will not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and his power over, over him is finished. For by, the, by his sacrifice, 
He died to sin's power once for all and for all, but he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourself as dead and unresponsive to sins appear while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Twelve, sin is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling you, controlling how you live, and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. Thirteen, so then, refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. 14. Remember this. Remember this. Sin will not conquer you. Remember it. For God already has God already has he has he has conquered sin in our lives. He said, remember, you are not governed by the law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. You are, you are grafted, grafted. So when you take a tree, if you graft something to a tree, and you pull that tree, that tree moves. The, the branch grafted moves. So when you, if you are grafted to Christ, say if you are grafted to him, so when he died, the tree, the tree and the branch also died. Because you are permanently grafted. So when he rose, whatever happened to the tree happened to the branch. That's what he's saying. When he rose, that when you died, your old nature died. That Jesus carried our sins, died, and he rose again, no more to, be, to die for sin. He rose in newness. We also rose in newness of life. When Jesus died, we died. So our old nature was destroyed right there. We died. Why? Grafted to him. If you graft a branch to a tree, when the tree dies, the branch dies. If the tree comes alive, the branch comes alive. That's what is using this to illustrate. He's using this, this, this uh, um, is it metaphor now, <laughs> whatever, you know, to illustrate it. That Christ died, we are grafted to him, so we too died. If a tree dies, the branches die. If a tree, you see a tree that is dead, almost dead, and then one day the things start coming up, but something is holding it somewhere, and then somebody brings it up. All the trees that were wilting begin to, all the branches begin to come, because the tree rose, rose, that's what they're trying to teach us here. That what destroyed the power of sin in your life is when you died with Christ. And that is where God changed us into a new person and took away the thing in us that was causing trouble in our life. You didn't destroy that power of sin by yourself. It was God's work in us, as branches grafted to Christ. So Acts 26, 18, continues to show us that we are really set free. You know, we talked about being set free from Satan, being set free from sin, now look at Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. You see, that's what the gospel does. It turns us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. That's what the gospel does. 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Galatians, no, we read that one before. So we see our deliverance is complete. From the power of Satan, we're free. From the control of sin, we're free. That's scripture. That's salvation. That's what God achieved. That's what Isaiah is saying. We should shout it. I mean, have, you ever, have you ever seen somebody who, is, who, who was captured by, um, by um, what do you call it? These people who kidnap us and they set free. Can you see the joy in their face? That they are set free. To, to, be, on, to be under the influence of demonic spirits and seeing the worst of the bunch. It doesn't, get, it doesn't get worse than the devil. Neither does it get worse than sin. To be their slave. And Jesus came. He said, he said when, a, when a, a powerful man is guarding his place, a greater one comes. The more powerful one comes. He takes everything. Jesus came, the greater one, and pulled us out of it. Isn't this something of great joy? And then we are saved from the penalties of sin. Penalties of it all. Romans 3, 24. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. Undeserved kindness. Declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Freed us from the penalty for our sins. Freed us from the penalty for our sins. 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are set free from the penalties of sin. Don't listen to any preacher who wants to condemn you and put, and put, and put judgment on you. That is fallacy. Let me read it again, Romans 3, 24. This is the word of God. Yet God with undeserved kindness declares that you are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Amen. There are people who want to preach people into fear, who preach them into judgment, thinking that that is the way they will change. That's demonic. That's, God doesn't use fear. The word of God produces faith, not fear. Hebrews 9.15, that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who, who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. You know why under the first covenant? It was under the first covenant that law was given that, that defines sin. Jesus didn't bring us law. He brought us grace and brought us through. Moses brought the law. And we're going to see that we were really delivered from the law. So we, he said, we, we have been, for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that law defined. The law is of the Old Testament. And you know there's a scripture in Nahum, one night, he said, what do you imagine against the Lord? So you are imagining stuff against the Lord. 
he will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up second time. Affliction will not come twice. Jesus had been afflicted. God said, why are you thinking, imagine this against me? I'm not unrighteous. Affliction shall not arise twice. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Affliction shall not arise twice. Jesus has been afflicted in my place. The penalties of sin has gone on him. He took my place and was afflicted. God said, why are you imagining stuff that affliction will arise twice after I punish my son? Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Afflicted. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. The chastisement that made us whole. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away everyone, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. Oh, man. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Laid it on Christ. That's the gospel. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, affliction shall not arise twice. You must not allow what is not the will of God to be, to be put on you by the devil. You must not. Affliction shall not arise twice. Christ has been afflicted for me. Penalty of sin gone. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is laid to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shadows is dumb. So he opened not his mouth, he took it, he didn't argue, he willingly didn't open his mouth, submitted himself so that he'll be afflicted for me. Affliction shall not arise. By oppression, because he was grabbed by force. By oppression and judgment, they say crucify him. They judge him guilty. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Kill him. Stricken for the transgression of my people. Stricken. And they made him, made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. Affliction cannot arise twice. It's the will of God to afflict him for me and to bruise him. He has put him to grief. 
when he makes himself an offering for sin. He shall see his offering, offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He said, this is the will of God. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and will be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Woo! Free us from the penalty of sins. He shall bear their iniquities. He said, this is the will of God. That's how much God loves us. Drinking from the deep well of our salvation. And we begin to shout and to praise God. Worship him. Affliction shall not arise twice. No. He has been afflicted in my place. Oh, you know some people say, you see what they are preaching? It's part of the fact the Bible teaches this and says this is the will of God. Some people have the nerves. That spirit that doesn't accept the will of God. The nerves to say that the grace that Jesus brought us will make us commit sin. Is there anything more blasphemous than that? Romans 3, 7. For if the truth of God had more abounded through, through my life unto the, his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we are slanderously reported as some people I found we say, they say, people say, we say, let us do evil, that good may come. Whose damnation is just? The Holy Spirit said, those people are going to be damned. Their damnation is just. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is what they are insulting. And saying that it brings sin and makes people sin. Instead of making people righteous and saving them from the power of sin, they are condemning what Christ did without their knowing it. Look at Jude chapter 3. Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. He said, I want to tell you about this salvation we all share. But now, I find that I must write about something else. Urging you to defend the faith too, that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people for. I say this because some ungodly people, ungodly people, the Holy Spirit said they're ungodly, have warmed their way into your churches. What are they saying? That God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The Holy Spirit said these are ungodly people. See, their damnation is sure. I, I, I said it before. You, you, you there's nobody who, with his own senses, drive his car into a ravine. No. The Bible says the prodigal son, when he came back to his senses, nobody with the right mind We read that this is the will of God, that God, it pleased God to crucify the, the son, to set us free from sin, and by our dying with him, he destroyed it, dismantled the power of sin in our lives, set us free from Satan. Who will in his right mind be talking evil of it? The Bible says nobody talking by the Holy Spirit speaks evil of Jesus. Nobody. And yet people do that. And they do it proudly. 
some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. What are they saying? That God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. See what people do? And they go to church. Yeah, the Holy Spirit says, yeah, they warm their way into your church, but they will not accept the gospel. They warm their way, but they will speak evil of the cross, and they don't know what they're doing. The prodigal son said when he came back to his senses, the Holy Spirit said, they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them won't even be listening to Bible studies because they know too much. And there are people who think they, they can save themselves. Look at Galatians 3.6. Abraham, our father of faith, believed God. And the substance of his faith released God's righteousness to, to him. Verse 7. So the true children of Abraham have the same faith as their father. 8. And the scripture prophesied that on the basis of faith, God will declare Gentiles to be righteous. On the basis of faith, God announced the good news ahead of time to Abraham. Through your example of faith, all the nations will be blessed. Nine. And so the blessings of Abraham's faith is now our blessing too. Ten. But if you rely, but now, this is the big but. This is the big but. But if you rely on works of, of, works of keeping the law for salvation, you live under the law's cause. See what people do? For it is clearly written, utterly cost is everyone who fails to practice every detail and requirement that are written in this law. Have you seen anybody who has practiced all of it? We were born sinners anyway, to start with. It is obvious that no one achieves the righteousness of God by attempting to keep the law. For it is written, the one who is in right standing relationship with God we live by faith. So that's the way you get it. Twelve. But keeping the law does not require faith. And yet, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, keeping the law does not require faith. So how can you, how can you choose that, that path for yourself? But self-effort. Jeremiah says, those who trust in the arm of the flesh, they are caused for their heart is departed from God. Keeping the law is self-effort. It doesn't require faith, because that's what you do. For the law teaches, if you practice the principles of law, you must follow all of them, 13. Yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the cost of the law. How can we not choose that one? He absorbed the cost completely as he became a cause in our place. He absorbed the cause. But if you don't want to accept what Christ has done, you want to go through the law, the cause will be on you. That's what the Bible is saying. He absorbed the cause. 
completely as it became a curse in our place. For it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree is cursed. Jesus Christ dissolved the curse for our lives so that in him all the blessings of Abraham can be poured out upon Gentiles. And now through faith we receive the promised Holy Spirit who lives in us. People who want to save themselves, they take the wrong decision and they are under God's cause, under the cause of the law because they reject the work of grace that Jesus came absorb the cause for us and that we should live by faith, by believing that and we're free like Abraham believed and we're free. Now, remember that you can't cause somebody that God has blessed. So we are saved from the curse of the Lord. Remember we read it now, that Jesus has absorbed the curse. When he hung on the tree, the scripture says, curse is every man who is hung on the tree. So he became cursed for me, for you. And that's the only way you can escape it. There's no other way. But now, having accepted Christ, the horn of our salvation, set free from curses. Now how can anybody curse you? Numbers 23, 5. The Lord gave Balaam a message for King Balak. Then he said, go back to Balak. Give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offering with all the officials of Moab. This was the message Balaam delivered. Balak summoned me to come from Aram, the king of Moab, brought me from the eastern hills. Come, he said, cause Jacob for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I cause those whom God has, now, has not caused? How can I condemn those the Lord has not condemned? He says, not possible. <laughs> not possible. We can't reverse what God has pronounced. We are blessed in Christ. He absorbed the cause. Nobody can cause you. It's a waste of time. Nobody. I don't care whether there are 20 witches together. It was tough. Their word, God said, my counsel will stand. And the affliction can't arise for They are wasting their time. You, you look, listen, a, a Christian must not. Oh, you must not allow. Look, it's not only that we live to do the will of God. It's that you too will not allow what is not the will of God to be done into your life. You mean we live, yeah, by the life, Christ expresses his life through us, and then we live in the will of God? Absolutely, yes. But now you too must not allow the devil to bring what is not the will of God in your life. It's two-way traffic. You can't allow the devil, you can't allow anybody to bring you. Look, when, when Peter was talking to Jesus, Jesus said, this is the devil, bringing what is not the will of God. He said, get it behind me, devil. It's not the will of God. Get, get, get out of here. It's not only that we live in the will of God. It's also that you don't allow what is rebellious against God to be, to be parting your life, to be dumped on you. You can't be partaker of that evil. You must reject it. You cannot be. No one can curse you. Say, Pastor, they placed a curse on you. Go and sit down, my friend. Have you, 
<laughs> Where did they get the authority? Didn't you read the scripture? It says, who is it that said it coming to pass? Except the Lord has commanded it. God didn't command it. It won't come to pass. It's waste of time. It's called vain word. Vain word. Useless, worthless, powerless, can't do it. Because the Lord has not commanded it. What did the Lord command? He has commanded blessing upon Jacob. He has commanded blessing on you. We allow all manner of stuff. And because of what we hear, yesterday I was telling that I said, the Bible said, be careful how you hear. And because of groups we follow and all these things, they won't study the Bible. They won't believe the grace of God. They won't believe anything. They won't believe the gospel. Salvation doesn't mean much. Everything is about law and what you do. 40 days, 50 days, you fast, you pray 20 hours, 25. It's about self. About self and arm of the self. They just live by faith. Because through faith you please God. If you don't accept what Christ has done, you can't please God. You just cannot. I remember sometime when I got saved newly. And as a new Christian, I got to know this. Somebody said, I'm going to curse you. I said, you mean... You got the wrong place. You're wasting your time. As a young Christian, I think my wife was there. I said, no. <laughs> it's not possible. Who is it that says it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? What has God commanded upon me? The blessings of Abraham are mine. That's what God said. That's as simple as that. You don't need prayer. You don't need anything. Nothing. Said they know that they don't know what they are talking about. Yet, if I Christian going around say, hey, hey, pastor, you know, hey, they place a curse on our family. What? You, you, you should dismantle all of that. You should rise up in Jesus and say, this is not the will of God. This is the work of hell. This is the work of Satan. I stand in authority. I reign on earth. You, this thing, you, this thing pronounced over this family, I cancel it. I destroy it. It will not hold. I disallow it in Jesus' name. It's done. You tell your family, enjoy yourself. Go and enjoy yourself. Oh. Joseph was in Potiphar's house. The whole family was blessed. Why? The presence of God with, with Potiphar. Are you carrying Jesus in you? What are you carrying? God. In the temple of God? Joseph was in Potiphar's house. The, the, the Lord was with him. And the Bible said the whole family was blessed. You think it's Potiphar? The whole Egypt was blessed. Pharaoh took his authority and said, you are not Pharaoh. We have not seen anybody that has this type of spirit you have. You are Pharaoh, surrender to this man. And yet, Egyptians and Israelites were not supposed to eat together. And here is this boy, they are Pharaoh. And they gave him the, the highest entourage with their Mercedes at the time, with all my after. The young boy got into it, and they were following him and, and calling him Pharaoh. Pharaoh. God said, you are head, not tell. You don't play second fiddle. 
I tell people, when you go for an interview, think like a Christian. Have the mind of Christ. Don't sit there and think you're, you're there begging them to give you a job. Who told you that? God says, I make the way. They don't make the way. Look, if you're employed by a company, they should, they should be thanking God you're there. Because your presence brings blessings to that, that, that company. The day you quit, you go with your... Jesus said to his disciples, in any house you enter, if you don't receive, you said, remove your dust, go with your blessing. Leave that place. You walk into a company, blessed as you are, coming in with the presence of Jesus, the thing is working there. If they're not paying you well, the thing won't work. They pay you well, you're so happy, you come in there, you're praising the Lord on your table, you know. They are being blessed. They won't know it's because of you. The day you leave, pack your things and go. It's, they are done. Unless they have other Christians working for them. This is Bible. Salvation. Placed us in a place of glory. Placed us. We are exalted. Jesus took us and seated us where he is. I don't know why we have time for this word. <laughs> this person didn't greet me. Where do you have time for things like that? Your affection should be on things on high-wire crisis. That's what you occupy your mind. That's why the power is. That's why the, what the authority is. That, man, that's why things are, there is no impossibility right there. You can't come down to the world where there's impossibility. This can happen. Oh, they tell you this can happen. Eh, we can't cure you here. Oh, this, this diagnosis, you know, you have six wounds. It's all here. Where we are in the life of faith, all things are possible. Why do you leave that place and come down where there is struggle, where there is labor? Peter, we told all night. It's all toy, toy, toy. You live where the power. The spirit, the power of the spirit is doing everything. Come down to where you want to toil. What are you toiling for? Why, 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 do we, why do we love this toiling, toiling thing? Why don't you thrive? The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. You are powered by the power of God. You are led by the power of God. You are, you, you are kept by the power of God. The power that works in you is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. There's no possibility to you. Nothing is impossible. Nothing. Salvation made what he gave us unbelievable. He said, You shall decree a thing, it shall be established for you. Why? Because you are son of God. Your daddy is God. Paul said, Think like this. See yourself. That thing has no power over you. It has been dethroned because you are reigning. He says, see yourself like that. Drinking from the well of salvation. He said, we'll make you give praise. Shout. Because awesome stuff is happening. There's a big good news in the house of the righteous every day. When they say there's a casting, they say, oh, no, no, no. That's a lifting up. The Lord is my strength. It's my salvation. It's my rock. The horn of my... They say, who is this man? Yeah, I'm born again. <laughs> I'm a child of God. You, you can give your life to Christ, you have the same joy I have. The Bible says because they don't know us, they don't understand our language. Say because they don't know us. 
Will you also not know yourself? If you don't know you and you don't know yourself, what are we talking about? We are saved from the law. We are saved from this law of Moses, the entire system of Moses. Look at Romans 7, 4. So my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law. By being co-crucified with the body of the Messiah, so you are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead, so that you may now bear spiritual fruits. It's by joining yourself to Christ, that grafting, that makes you bear spiritual fruits. The law could not make you bear spiritual fruits. It's by joining to Christ. Grafting, you bear sweet fruit now. He said, he said, you may not be a spiritual fruit for God. Five, when we were merely living natural lives, the Lord through defining sin, because the Lord that told us what sin is, actually awakened sinful desires within us. See what it does? Which resulted in bearing fruit of death. You preach the law, you produce death. You preach Christ, you produce righteousness. But now that we have been fully released from the power of the law, we are dead to what once controlled us. And our lives are no longer motivated by the obsolete way of following the written code of Moses. So that now we may serve God by living in the freshness of a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in the power of my flesh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 7, 6, put it like this. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead, wherein we were heard that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. In 1 Corinthians 15, 56, he said, look at what the Lord does. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. We have to be delivered from this thing that empowers sin. The strength of sin is the law. Let me read it in another translation. It said, it is sin that gives death its sting, and the law gives sin its power. The law brings wrath, not blessings. Romans 4, 15. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law brings about wrath, no forgiveness. And so the Bible calls it a ministry of death, because he produces death, not life. A ministry of condemnation. If we are left with the law, all of us will die. Nobody is going to heaven. We are done. We can't produce salvation, nothing. Second Corinthians 3, 7. But if the ministration of death, you see what they call it? Remember, Paul wrote and said, this thing produces death. If the ministration of death written and they engraved in stones, so in case you don't know what he's talking about, he's talking about the Lord of Moses. Was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. For the glory of that of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. That glory was to be done away, verse 8. How shall not the ministry of the Spirit be rather more, be rather glorious? Verse 9. For if the ministration of condemnation, the law will never bring you justification. We never. Impossible. We'll always condemn you. Bring you death. 
Look at Romans 3, 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in, this, in his sight. For, the law is the, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what it does. It exposes sin in your life. It doesn't justify you. It exposes sin and brings you condemnation. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. We'll go to hell, everybody. We needed to be delivered from that system. Galatians 2.21. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. It couldn't make us right with God. And the law leaves us under the curse. Galatians 3.10. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, curse is every man who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Verse 12. This way of faith is different from the way of the law. which says, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. This is what some people believe. The law could not offer us salvation. Romans 8.3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in the body like the bodies we sinners have. Some people don't believe Jesus came in the body as a man. He says this right here, the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Law could not provide salvation. All that the law does is Romans 3.20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. He reveals sin. Shows, he shows how sinful we are. And if we are that sinful, we are condemned. Can't justify us. If this was the only system, nobody would go to heaven. Nobody. For by the deeds of the law shall no one be justified. So you see why God came and delivered us from that system and gave us the system through which we can go to heaven. And that is through faith in Christ. The law could not save us from the power of sin. He brought Christ, who now empowered us by the power of his spirit, so we cannot live and, and dethrone sin in our life. So sin is no more controlling us. The law couldn't do that. That's what Jesus did. And now we are being led by the Spirit of God. We are no more under the law. Are, it's, 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 a, it's a terrible system. God put, shut it down. The Bible said the law could make nobody perfect. All it did is condemn us, reveal sin. And that was all it did. Weaken faith. It has nothing to do with faith. That system, thank God we are delivered from it. So we now have a better system. The way of faith in Christ. And by next week, we begin to see what Christ now provided us to make us live the life that God planned for us, including living in victory, living in our blessings, living in the fullness of joy, and living in the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Precious Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege again to hear your word, to encourage us to drink deep in the well of our salvation. So there are praises will come from our mouth. 
so that we can praise you for the awesome stuff that you did in our life. So we experience the real glory of God. It's not just going to church and going home. We experience the full glory of God. For we, you have restored that glory to us. You've restored it to us. You moved us to sit with you in heavenly places. Powerful place we can stay. Father, I pray that you help us to understand this thing. That salvation is the most important thing that happened in our lives. That transported us from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. From darkness to light. From shame to glory. From, from having no strength to the Lord being the strength of our life. From not being blessed to being blessed with the blessings of Abraham. Lord, help us to understand this. So like David, we can call on the name of the Lord. And then praise him for his worthy to be praised. And so we escape from causes, escape from our enemies, and live in the glory of God that brings you glory and gives us fullness of joy. Thank you, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.